Hello and welcome to episode 4 of Unpacking Articles within Unpacking Language Pedagogy. Today we're going to unpack an article written by an expert in second language writing, Dr. Charlene Polio, who, by the way, was one of the members of my dissertation committee some years ago. The article is called The Relevance of Second Language Acquisition Theory to the Written Error Correction Debate. And in this article, the author tackles a question that we have all asked ourselves at some point. Is correcting errors worth our time? And there have been a lot of studies comparing different types of feedback, but that's not what this article is about. What makes this article special is that the author tries to make sense of it in a more fundamental way. Does it make sense to provide corrective feedback based on different theories of second language acquisition? And as you may have noticed, the title of the article alludes to a debate, the written error correction debate. What is that about? Well, on the one hand, we have Truscott saying things like, grammar correction has no place in writing courses and should be abandoned. That's an actual quote from his 1996, now very famous article. And then on the other hand, we have Dana Ferris saying that effective error correction that which is selective, prioritized, and clear can and does help at least some student writers. And that's also a quote from her 1999 article. So one side states that we should not correct errors because that doesn't have much effect on development and it could even be harmful because it inhibits students from taking risks. And then the other side says that Correcting errors could actually be useful for the learners. True, not for everybody, but at least for some learners. So what do we do? Do we correct? Do we not correct? Is it useful or is it not? Well, first we need to define useful or effective for what? If we're talking about immediate corrections, for instance, you tell students to edit something and they're supposed to make revisions and then turn it back in, sure, it could be effective for that. But most teachers are thinking of effectiveness in terms of greater accuracy down the line in subsequent writing assignments. That's really the big question here. Is it worth it long term? Because let's be honest, giving corrective feedback can be time consuming and we want to be efficient with our time. So we might think that correcting everything is helping the learners, but is that really the case? In a broader sense, does corrective feedback play a role in terms of language development? And here's where different theories, different approaches to second language acquisition will have slightly different answers to that question. The author presents a very nice summary of different theories and their views on the role of feedback, which is closely tied to their views on the role of explicit knowledge. And I'm going to simplify a lot and offer my own interpretation of her summary. Essentially, we have three big camps. In the first camp, we have generative approaches and persistability theory, which stem from the premise that language acquisition is implicit. It's not conscious. It doesn't happen by learning about the language. And so they view instructional interventions, such as corrective feedback, to have a very limited or no role in acquisition. They don't see much of a link between explicit and implicit knowledge. 
In the second camp, we have usage-based, sociocultural, interactionist approaches. In this camp, agrees with the first camp that acquisition is mostly implicit, but they think that drawing the learner's attention to form could help them make the right form-meaning connections. And corrective feedback would be one way of doing that. Now, let's pause for a minute and clarify that this camp is in favor of focus on form singular, not plural. In other words, they're not saying that we should be teaching rules and practicing, but rather we should be focusing on language form as needed to accomplish a communicative goal. And finally, we have a third camp with skill-based or skill acquisition theory that sees a much more prominent role for explicit knowledge or conscious knowledge about the language. For skill-based approaches, explicit knowledge is important in language development, and therefore so is feedback or error correction. Unlike the other two camps, skill-based approaches view language learning as being essentially the same as learning anything else. And as we explored in other episodes, not everybody agrees with that position. In fact, you could say that most second language acquisition scholars believe that language development is unique or is different from any other type of skill development. It's not the same as learning how to ride a bike, for example. And so it all boils down to the role of explicit knowledge and how these different theories view it differently. But is there any common ground? Yes. The author of this article finds some common ground among all of these different theories. And if you know me, you know that I like common ground. Not all camps agree that error correction contributes to implicit knowledge. Definitely, there's not a whole lot of common ground there. But they do all probably agree that error correction contributes to explicit knowledge. And another thing that we can all probably agree with is that Explicit knowledge can help learners in terms of monitoring production. For example, self-correction or self-editing. And the following quote from the article highlights this common ground among theories. It says that even Krashen, who took an extreme position on the role of explicit knowledge in second language acquisition, pointed out that in writing, writers had time to monitor and apply knowledge from learned rules. What Polio is suggesting is that error correction could help learners in terms of these learned rules, and therefore it could help them when it comes to monitored production. So it could help them when they're writing, and it could help them when they're revising their writing. And it all sounds great, but here's the fine print, and I quote, we have not sorted out what explicit knowledge students can and cannot apply and all teachers know that students do not apply all of their explicit knowledge when writing or editing. In other words, it's not as straightforward as it seems or as we wish. Just because you have taught the students a rule, that doesn't mean they will apply it every time they're writing or every time they're editing their writing. Polio concludes that all feedback is not useless or harmful, as Truscott said, but certain conditions need to be met for feedback to be effective. And even then, nothing guarantees that feedback will be effective. So what are the conditions? The first condition is that learners need to pay attention to the feedback, which makes sense, 
if the learners don't even see your feedback, don't even interpret your feedback as a correction, then of course feedback is not going to have any effect. The second condition is that the feedback needs to have some sort of immediate purpose or application. It cannot just be the learners looking at it or acknowledging that they have received it. If they don't do anything with it, if there is no immediate purpose or application for the feedback, then it may not be worth your time to be giving them feedback. And the third condition, which is definitely the hardest one to overcome in the classroom, is that feedback needs to be at the right level for each and every student. And while that makes sense in theory, it is impossible for teachers to know what each and every learner is ready to acquire. So what can we take away from all this discussion? For me, there are two main takeaways. The first one is curb your expectations in terms of the effects that you think feedback will have. And the second one is to reflect on what you would consider evidence of feedback being effective. As for whether it's worth your time, well, you may hear people tell you that it's not worth your time because the effects of feedback tend to be relatively limited. Why? Let's look at what Polio said in this article. First, there's several conditions that need to be met for feedback to be effective. And even when feedback is effective, effective for what? The only thing the experts could agree on was that it may contribute to explicit knowledge. And even then, not all of that explicit knowledge is applied all the time when we are monitoring our own production. Only some of it is applied sometimes. And that's why people tend to say that the effects of feedback are relatively limited. So is it worth your time? That depends a lot on your expectations. What are you expecting feedback to do? And let's not forget the students' expectations as well. You don't have to do everything the students want you to do, but at least you should think about whether they are expecting corrective feedback or not. And if their expectations don't match your practices, it's good to have a conversation with the students to help them understand why you do what you do. That's just my take on it. As usual, I encourage you to read the original and draw your own conclusions. Thank you for tuning in and until next time.